Kaepernick steps up and try and run to pick it up. He's got a touchdown. Welcome to Liberal Arts Sports Talk, sports talk in the last place you would expect it. This is Mac Lederman, contributing editor for the Miscellaneous News, alongside over Zoom with my two favorite professors, Alex Cuffer and Justin Patch. Thank you guys for coming on here for another show. So we're still all aboard as we've been the last couple of weeks, um, really trying to fill some time here. And I think there is a lot to be talked about with sports right now. Uh, but we keep going nonetheless. I think the big news coming out of the sports world this week has to relate with the president himself, Mr. Trump. So uh, Trump and a select group of the most powerful commissioners in sports, which um, infamously discluded all the presidents of the various players associations, as well as the president of the women's soccer uh, league. And in this meeting on um, a conference call on Sunday, Trump declared that sports would relaunch, hopefully relaunch, or was telling these commissioners that it would relaunch sooner rather than later. And this led to a very irate uh, and kind of infamous Adam Scheffner tweet now saying that in a conference call with Major League Sports Commissioners on Saturday, Trump said he believes the NFL season should start on time in September. No further explanation needed from Adam Scheffner and the rest of the sports world. And Trump kind of continuously on this line of frank delusions about the timeline related to the coronavirus and that has spilled over into the world of sports. So I'm interested in what you guys maybe have to think about this infamous phone call that happened on Sunday with Trump and all the heavyweights in the sports industry. I mean, I, I think first off, it, it's just another PR stunt, right? What Trump is doing, he's never held accountable for all his bullshit claims. If sports sort of starts up, you know, May or June or whatever it may be, Trump will take credit, even though he has nothing to do with it. Um, and I think, you know, the issue here, though, is that it's pushing these commissioners to start sports sooner than they should. Mm. Um, we're starting to see, um, like, WrestleMania with Rob Gronkowski being played in an empty arena. And it's weird. And it doesn't work. Uh, but this idea is that, like, you just put on stuff. You worry about the fans later. It's okay. It's not being irresponsible. So it's following sort of Trump's lead, his rhetoric. And again, like this, this fundamental conservatism, like small C conservatism of sports leagues and sports owners, where just figure out the money, everything else will sort of figure out itself. Um, yeah. So one of the things that, that um, calmness David Brooks said is that in these moments is when we really see who we are. And what I see with that is like, okay, here's a concept of America that has everything to do with ownership and nothing to do with labor, right? And I hate to refer to players as labor because I think they're much more than labor. But the fact is in this product called games, not the wider world of sports because the wider world of sports is much bigger than just game time. But in this product that we call a game, 
the labor is unincluded in this conversation, but also public health officials are not included in the situation. And like team doctors were not included in this. Like um, uh, Bomani last night was talking about, okay, so, you know, you've got people in New York City clamoring for test kits to be able to test more and more people. Well, how is Major League Baseball suddenly able to get all the test kits they want? How is a 50, what, 54-man roster with all the support staff needed to run an NFL game suddenly able to get all the test kits they want when people are dying because they can't be tested? Like, there is something, there are many, many things that are so utterly and grievously wrong with this idea that, like, this is what we need. This is what America needs. And the thing about it is like, yo, uh, sports for now the audience is bad content. You want bad content? Most people got a TV full of bad content. They got Netflix. They got YouTube. They got Hulu. They got Amazon. Whatever. Chock full of bad content. Why would you ruin something that people actually enjoy? It's like, it's like if somebody ordered um, a Guinness, right? And you came out with a Bud Light. But why would you ruin something that somebody actually enjoys just for the sake of you making money? Because yeah. if owners could make a thousand bucks off that Guinness or that Bud Light, they're going to do that. <laughs> I, I, I think you are forgetting, like in terms of labor, it's not just the players. Things like camera operators or trainers, right? The people start taping up the players, all these others. Um, it's sort of a big thing that hasn't even sort of come into the conversation yet. And think about, too, what happened with the NBA when, like, Rudy Gobert got sick mm-hmm. and the Utah Jazz, where they had to test the entire traveling party. It was literally 60% of Oklahoma's available tests. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, we could talk about, like, this crazy plan to get MLB started in Arizona. One of the preconditions is that they have enough tests so it doesn't cause this PR disaster again. Because it was so bad and so offensive that all these teams and everyone affiliated with them are getting tested very, very early on. Um, I, I think one thing that sort of goes back, it's not just the conservative conservatism of the owners and the leagues. It's the fact that Trump, you have to be on Trump's good side in order to help your people. Yeah. You know, States like New York and Jersey have gotten a fraction of what they've asked for and what they needed. Florida twice has gotten everything they've asked for in terms of, you know, ventilators and things like that. So it's this really, really problematic dynamic that sports leagues just sort of get along and sort of go along with in order to not make an enemy of the federal government. It it sounds insane, but that's kind of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I think it's sort of these much larger issues with how this is all run and leagues sort of just go along as like a nation state in and of themselves. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a frank reality. As long as Trump is president and he loves watching football in September, that the league commissioners will have no choice but to at least communicate with him or acquiesce him in some way or the other, really. Or you end up with a what I think is an equally dangerous situation where your big name guys are saying, there is no way in hell I'm showing up to training camp. You can put me on waivers and I will sit out until this is safe. And if, and if I need to sit out a year, so be it. I'm not going to risk this. So then what happens is that players who need a paycheck are going to show up, and they're the ones who are going to get exposed. 
they're the guys who are not guaranteed lifetime health care, who you know are guaranteed catastrophic insurance, but that's it. And they're the ones who will end up paying the biggest price for the demand that there be football on TV. Right. You, you see it for something like baseball, you have minor leaguers who step up. Yeah. Um, and, and we've seen this before, like the NFL had a, you know, they tried with scabs. Yes, scabs, yeah. And it continues to be sort of like this historic embarrassment. But you could very much have the same sort of thing where anybody you know, anybody who has any money won't be there. Mm-hmm. But you have minor leaguers or D-leaguers, things like that coming in. And it becomes this incredibly sort of problematic thing because owners say we just need content, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's all that matters. So either way, I, I think Trump is putting them in this sort of unwinnable position. Um, and they're going along with it, just saying it's, we're not playing this stupid game. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going along with it. Yeah, And it's the sports media landscape that's going along with it, too. Just the mere fact that they're reporting these claims pretty seriously. The fact that Trump had asked football to come back in September and the need for baseball and sports to reenter kind of the American zeitgeist as soon as possible. Like, that's just another way of them totally at least reaffirming kind of the gravity of the types of things he's saying. Even though, as we noticed, the virus makes its own timeline, no matter what anyone says. Isn't the WNBA season normally beginning in June and nobody has even whispered about them? Like, what is up with that? Like, come on, the WNBA finals were like one of the most compelling storylines last year with uh, Della playing with a a ruptured, uh, what is it, cracked vertebrae that she played with and all that. Like, it was an absolutely captivating final series. And like people seem to have forgotten that that is a summer sport. You know, it it also, you know, we talk about the the bigger picture of gender and sport that nobody thinks about them as viable content, even though the women's national soccer team gets great TV ratings. Like nobody thinks about the WNBA at like, all those athletes as being legitimate athletes. So it does point to not only issues with conceiving of sport as being only male, mm-hmm. also as, as prioritizing ownership over labor, prioritizing like profit over safety, but also it shows like you are sending a bad public message when you're like, oh, we can go back to business as normal. Like, no, 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 no. We are not in the phase with this virus right now where we can go back to business as normal. And I think it's interesting thinking about labor and ownership, particularly in terms of college athletes, right? Where college athletes, it's been only hearing from college football coaches, which of course is a problem, but you have coaches in like the deep South who are saying, we're going to open up in three weeks. When a state like New York is still literally on sort of stay-at-home orders and Davo Sweeney at Clemson and um, Jeff Van Gundy, no, Gundy, Mike Gundy, whatever the hell his name is, at Oklahoma (laughs) State, right, sort of saying May 1st. And the university has to be like, no. Um, but it's this really interesting sort of position, like saying you can't do this with our literal students. Yeah. Do this. And this constant sort of pushback here between sort of, you know, owners and players. And who's the owner? Is it the university? Is it the coach? It seems like a lot of times it's the coaches who are pushing for this very, very soon, very, very quickly. What's your rush to come back? Money. That ain't got nothing to do with teaching anybody anything. No, it has everything to do with making that money and you're willing to put the lives of what 84 guys on the roster plus all the support staff at risk. And by the way, like getting a severe form of pneumonia 
could actually take enough edge off your game that you will never be able to play professional or take it to another level. So you're willing to not only put people's lives at risk, but their careers at risk. And that, like when Gundy came out with that, I was like, that is not only tone deaf, but one of the most despicable things I've heard. We're willing to sacrifice these young men's lives and livelihoods just so you can make money. I think it's even more cynical than that because my guess is he's going to get paid regardless. I think it's so he could sort of brand himself. I'm the one who wasn't afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who was brave enough to sort of come back. It becomes very political too. I, I'm sure he's going to get paid the six million bucks or whatever for a year. It just becomes like I'm the toughest man here. You know, every Oklahoma State coach is looking at other open coaching positions and oh, saying, yeah. hey, "Where else can I take a step up to?" When Lane Kiffin gets fired from this job, <laughs> I'm taking it because it's only a two-year window before he gets bounced. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, him and uh, Mike Leach at <laughs> Leach, Mississippi State, who's already had like players transfer because he's a moron. So you have sort of like this interesting thing. My guess is head coaches get paid, assistants don't if there's no season. So I think this is a really – I think it's way more cynical even than you're giving Mike Gundy credit for. It's not just about his paycheck. Mm -hmm. It's literally so he can go to high school recruits and say, I'm the one who's tough enough to open up. Uh, And we started practice earlier than anybody in the country. The first coach to do this, just watch what happens in terms of sort of how they brand themselves. Yeah, just wait till their players start dropping, and then yeah. it becomes a whole other story. Yeah. I mean, today, the Washington Post, like, hundreds of people under 50 are dying now, too. Just it's spreading, so it's not just sort of an old person disease. Well, that right. African Americans are being smashed by this disease. Yep. Like, what do you think his roster is comprised of? Like, like Mike Leach, what do you think? I mean, part of the reason why he got killed on that like news thing yeah. was because of where he's coaching. Right. Well, and boys from Mississippi aren't trying to see their coach like putting out nooses. Come on now. Yeah. Like, and, and they are in that bracket, that demographic that is dying at an alarming rate. Right? Yeah. I think what we're dealing here is this kind of like a fatal mix of ignorance, lots of, lots of money and pure desperation and, and also just the pure, competition of it all these guys are not thinking about their athletes and they're thinking about how can we capitalize on racing back to creating content as quickly as possible i think that's something we're seeing a lot with baseball now too um their desire to host you know their season very inclusively in whatever kind of arizona incubator they're capable of creating and how baseball is trying to reassert itself back on the map as one of the premier american sports the american sports that's able to be with us through national crises throughout our history and be a comforting guiding force through those times. They want to recreate and pick up that narrative while also not thinking about all the other things that may be more important right now. Yeah. I like this idea you had. It's about competition, right? Who can be the first league? Who can be the first owners, the first college to sort of do this? When so many of these other places are like, let's just wait and see. Nobody knows. I don't even bother to predict but it does become sort of like this meathead competition where the coaches don't sacrifice commissioners certainly don't. It is, you know, these 20 year old African-American athletes who are really going to sort of pay the price. Um, I, I think the baseball thing, do you want to talk a little more sort of what the plan is? Uh, yeah, sure. If anyone has any more clarity on that. One note before we talk about baseball, <laughs> right? Like 
this shows us where we are with athletics, right? Where during World War II, whatever, like baseball was the thing, right? Yeah. Esports is the thing now. When you talk about like, okay, like where are you getting your sports fix, man? It's like kids at home playing like FIFA and they're talking to their friends in the headsets or play, they're playing Madden, they're playing NBA 2K. And I'm not talking about the esports um, basketball competition. Like what we're looking at with the way that Americans sort of feel good about themselves, there is a not small percentage of the population where, where a big chunk of their happiness, their socialization and all that is coming from esports not from watching sports. Mm. I think esports or video games. Well, video games, but okay. but e, but esports as like the the blanket for video games, whether you're okay. in Halo or Call of Duty or whatever, or actual sports games, like that is the competition that is bringing people together, giving them an opportunity to like feel good and do all that, and it's a major change from what like we've seen before with sports. And I think this is one of those moments where like, okay, when we snap out of this thing in two months and six months and a year, how is this landscape going to be different? And that's one of the things I would want to keep an eye on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be curious to see like one of the reasons why these commissioners want to come back is that you just realize what your life is like without basketball or baseball, what have you. And you're just like, it doesn't make a difference, right? Um, you know, things like ESPN and the role of just the habit-forming nature of this, where every night you tune in, watch SportsCenter, catch up on this, you just don't do that anymore because there's nothing there. So it's really interesting to think about sort of like the habit-breaking when it comes to traditional sports. One of the things I did the other day, I went and looked on my um, digital wellness feature on my phone, just to <laughs> see how much time I've been spending on my phone. And the minutes on my phone have gone way down. And I think, and the only app I ever look at is ESPN. (laughs) And I was like, man, according to this, on a normal day, I spend about 30 minutes on ESPN. Now I don't because there's no stories. Yeah. I'm trying, I read, yeah, about baseball's plan to open and then Al Kaline. That's, you know, five minutes and I'm sort of done. Um, and, and I think, you know, people will realize that you just, the habits don't matter, mm-hmm. right? You know, not knowing what LeBron is doing, it's okay. So, you know, breaking out of that habit could have sort of these really long lasting repercussions here because these are billion dollar industries and they sort of spent a lot of money and time developing this stuff and how quickly we sort of break that habit. Yeah. I mean, all our kind of collective habits are worth a lot of money, I guess, to all these sports leagues and is a valuable product and an interesting void that will have to be, you know, refilled eventually. Yeah. I think it's all a matter of these, you know, these big money heads at the top of all these leagues figuring out how best to do that at this point in time and how to get out in front of everyone, you know, when things inevitably turn back to normal. Yeah, I mean, but, but that's the thing, like normal isn't just a yes or no, mm-hmm. right? And that's what makes it so difficult and so problematic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, the attention economy is for real. Mm-hmm. And so like when you don't have sports for months on end, you may come to a point where you're just not as excited as you thought you'd be when they came back. Like, you know, that first week without the NBA, you're like, damn, man, I can't wait yeah. to see another Celtics game, man. The Celtics look great. Then you wonder if it's like, you know, 
three, four months down the road and you've kind of moved on and you found something else and like maybe you'll kind of come back, but not in the same way that you used to. Yeah. Or maybe on the flip side, it will galvanize more people to kind of rally around sports in a way that we haven't seen before. I just think there's so much that's just unknown right now. There is, but I think it doesn't hurt that the people at the top of organizations are busy making themselves look bad. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and I do think that matters, right? There is a celebrity culture that has pervaded everything. And so it's not just that we judge like actors and actresses and celebrities by the headlines that we see in the National Choir when we're buying our groceries. It's entirely possible that we can now look at some of the comments that have been made from guys, commissioners in the NFL and team owners in the NFL and all that and say, well, you, you're kind of a jerk, man. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Not that I ever wanted anything to do with Oklahoma State or Mississippi State or Mike Leach in general, but like to be even less inclined to be like, oh, I'm going to watch this game. And what happened, like you were saying before, what happens if the players, let's say the NFL wants to start, you know, right on schedule, players are like, no, I don't want to do this, right? Why would Tom Brady risk, risk his health to come back, you know, before he thinks he's ready to do so? So if he starts going to war with Roger Goodell, all these star players, Aaron Rodgers goes to war with them, what happens here, right? It starts to realize all these sort of fissures, all these breaks within the league, and people just say, you know, do they side with the people sitting at home, the players sitting at home, or the yeah. owners? And In owners- a quarterback-driven league, yeah. it's not a good look when the quarterbacks that people are tuning into, with the exception of um, – Baltimore and um, Seattle are all older. Like Tom Brady, like people are excited about Philip Rivers. Obviously, Drew Brees is still in the league. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever excited about Matt Ryan, but he is a good quarterback. Like, you know, all these guys are in their, you know, mid to late 30s, if not Tom Brady being 42. Yo, case of pneumonia ends your career at that age. Yeah. Or they say Aaron Rodgers has made so much money his career. He just says, why do I risk it? Yeah. I'll take off a year or two. If I feel like coming back, I will. If not, I won't. Mm-hmm. Why bother? And if they really sort of start doing this, if you lose 10 of these quarterbacks, right, from the league, it's going to look really, really bad. Yeah, and if, and if the highlight of your league is like the quarterback battle between Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, like, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's the season I really want to like, cut out time from my life to watch. Yeah. I mean, you guys are kind of talking about a very apocalyptic scenario, you know, where like a bunch of older quarterbacks to stand up and quit. But I think all these league commissioners are just taking a blind bet right now and hoping it works. Like, I guess Roger Goodell, I'm not quite sure what he has to say about this, but, um, you know, has been quiet while Silver has been more hands off and saying, I'm just waiting to hear what the doctors tell me you know, when we can actually safely come back where other people like Dana White are rushing back to market and really capitalizing off this. So it's a kind of interesting time where all these commissioners are playing like are at the roulette table and no one knows exactly where the ball is going to land. Like I'm sure these college football coaches in the South, like maybe their fan base wants to hear things like, oh, we're, we're going to play football as soon as possible and stay on schedule and throwing out these outlandish dates. It's just everything is a bet right now on one side of the table or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, the ridiculous, we're going to play baseball in a 30 team bio. <laughs> right. Start the season in Arizona 
where you have like this two week quarantine period, everybody gets tested and it just gets morbid where they're like, we need bigger rosters. One, because Arizona is exceptionally hot. So assuming people are going to get like heat stroke and pass out or because people get sick. So instead of just saying, well, if there's a good chance your players will get sick, don't fucking play. It is no, 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 just more bodies, right? Just more people there. And this is like right now the best thought out plan for getting sports back. And yo, man, who thought it was a good idea to play baseball in Arizona in July? Ever? Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. I mean, they have us talking about baseball though, right? Like that, isn't that a part of the admission? Like the fact that MLB is showing that they're at least trying at the very least to make it happen resonates with fans at the very least some, somehow. But if every sentence begins and ends with the word morons, like, is that really like the best way to be discussing this? I think it's one of those plans where it all sounds well and good. And then somebody comes down with COVID and then there's this panic where, Oh my God, we did everything right. And there was still an outbreak. And the, if that happens, if you hermetically seal this place, everyone gets tested, nobody comes in from the outside, and somebody still gets sick, that could have a severe adverse effect where people are really going to start freaking out like, oh my God, I can put plastic over every window and stay in my house and get all my food delivered and disinfect the pizza before I eat it, and I could still come down with this. Yeah. I mean, it's almost inevitable that, you know, when these sports do come back, that eventually a player in some league somewhere will be sidelined by coronavirus, right? Coronavirus is something that until there is an effective vaccine is going to stick around in our culture for the next two or three years and is bound, you know, once, I guess, after the summer is over and it gets a little colder again, that a second wave or an outbreak could actually be inevitable too. So it's kind of a matter of how do you hedge and navigate the situation now and how do these sports commissioners even deal with it in the future if they're thinking or having those conversations yet? I mean, I honestly think the first step is effective treatment. Right? I think if there's an effective treatment out there so that this pneumonia can be fought like other forms of pneumonia, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's debilitating, but you get treatment, you get better. That is important, right? And then once you have that treatment, then you, you can wait out a, a legit vaccine that will take you know, somewhere between 18 and 36 months to be out in the street. But right now, they don't even have effective treatment. And I think that is the scary part. I think they need the widespread instantaneous tests. Yeah. Not just for like the athletes, because you know, when the Utah Jazz, they got sick in Oklahoma City... They tested every member of the Jazz and their whole traveling party. It was 60% of Oklahoma's available tests. And the PR hit was tremendous. Everyone said, why the hell are all these people getting tested? And we still don't have this sort of mass testing available to anybody. So if hundreds, thousands of tests are going to MLB players and not the mass public, everyone's going to be like, what the hell is going on? They can't support this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of even an earlier precondition Mm -hmm. where you can sort of Test constantly, regularly, but also say the players aren't being treated specially in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think you still see this gap that really frustrates people between like celebrities and everyone else, right? Celebrities and athletes get tested whenever they feel like it. Mm-hmm. And right now, most of the public absolutely cannot do that. 
Yeah. So I think I, that's a, a precondition too. I think kind of like basketball has learned from that lesson, at least somewhat. We've seen someone like Rudy Gobert go from touching all the mics to being very profusely apologetic and serious when he's talked about his symptoms since then. And, you know, Brian Windhorst, who's kind of been like one of the top insiders on what league offices are talking about right now. And Adam Silver too, for that matter, have all been leading the fact we're not playing basketball again until universal testing becomes available. And they're saying that too. Yeah. And basketball is the sport that learned that the hard way. So it's kind of confusing why all these other leagues are, totally ignorant to the fact that, you know, like that sort of outlash even had happened somewhere else in the first place. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you think though, like Gobert sort of learned his lesson. Um, it was apologetic, you, you know, Boris Johnson in the UK is sort of sitting in intensive care right now. <laughs> Clearly nobody learns anything. <laughs> so I, it's interesting though, sort of the NBAs, I, I want them to sort of decide on everything because I think they've been sort of, they took the lead in all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, Gobert was sort of a moron, but he, he was very apologetic. He sort of, you know, publicly said, I, I made a huge mistake. And since then, I, I think they've been sort of the most responsible um, and leading the way. So if they come back first, I would feel much more comfortable than like the NBA or even MLB taking the lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, another question is, is this like, how much do you think, you know, Trump's words or actions on this, you know, and that phone call will resonate with various league officials? Like, does that, does this push Roger Goodell to actually try to rush football back as much possible? Was Adam Silver like having his lunch and answering other emails while he was listening to the president blather? Like, I would love, love to just be like a fly on the wall of that conversation or, you know, be in the room between, I'm sure, what is very intense talks between these players' associations and the actual leagues themselves and see how like those types of conversations are shaping up. I mean, if Goodell or was it Brian France, the people who run NASCAR, if they have cover from Trump, if they say, you know, the president is telling us to do this, it's patriotic, mm-hmm. then I, I, I think it helps them, right? Think about, you know, the justification for playing baseball during World War II came directly from FDR. There's famous letters, correspondence between Commissioner Landis and FDR, where FDR, they literally call it the green light letter, right? He said, go ahead and play baseball. It's okay. The country needs it. So Trump doing this for the NFL or for college leagues, it gives them the go ahead, even if it does become sort of medically problematic. So I, I, I think they will use that as a rhetorical shield to do sort of what they want to do anyways. Can I just bring something up? Sure. If what is determined to be patriotic over the last number of years has been either one military or two economic, we've seen this movie before. People got to wake up to that. Like with what is patriotic is not like care for your fellow citizens. It's the economic activity of the nation and the people wearing uniform, uh, we should roll back about a century and look at Italy and Germany and Japan in the 1920s and 30s and uh, see what we have become. Because that is, it is disturbing to look at the federal government and the way that they think about this country in terms of military and in terms of economy. Yeah. I mean, Trump has kind of hung his hat right on leveraging the patriotism of everything as much as possible. And I guess sports really are not an exception of that. And 
let's say, you know, like football does come back in September because of the pressure that's been applied to it. Trump's able to like break through these politics. He's struggling now with just scientists in general and be able to point at something like he can point at Dana White and be like, yeah, I was right. Like sports can be possible just because I said it was. And that's, you know, that's scary. That does bring flashbacks to those other places you just mentioned, JP. Remember, Dana White spoke at the Republican National Convention is a sort of Trump supporter. Um, so it's very much sort of setting him up to take credit for stuff he deserves zero credit for. Mm-hmm. And that has been his MO this entire time. Right now, he's setting up to blame governors for everything. Now he's trying to take credit for sports coming back whenever it does. But he's trying to say, I did this. This is all me. When, you know, everyone will say, no, no, no. It's, you know, the players and us are taking care of everything. Can we just trying to say this is me being patriotic? Can we just talk about the fact that like Dana White is having his fight an <laughs> indigenous reservation in California? Ouch. <laughs> people that we stole the country from at gunpoint and become the only available outlet for the expression of this type of patriotism. And like pugilistic masculinity, like at the hands of crazy rate, like this whole thing is bonkers, right? Like is absolutely like the one place in America that can defy federal regulations or indigenous reservations, right? Like they're basically like indigenous open air prisons. And this is what is going to happen on one of them. Yeah. And, and they've been getting battered, I think even harder than African-American communities with coronavirus. So the irony is like, I was going to say doubly thick, exponentially richer here because of that as well. Yeah. I want Dana White host a fight in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, like the poorest County in the country. (laughs) Go ahead and do that. Help those people out. Bring them some money. Mm -hmm. Dude, like this whole thing is like the, the, every single piece of this, is so bizarre that when you put the pieces together, none of it stands to any kind of logic or reason or good sense, let alone like good medical or public health directives. I mean, it's like this long history of fight promotions. You know, we just watched when we were Kings for sports media this week, where you have fucking Don King (laughs) going to the dictator of Zaire to set up a $10 million fight for Ali and George Foreman that could be sort of broadcast via closed circuit TV and set international records for sort of most live viewers of television. Literally none of those things should make sense. And Mobutu killed a thousand people before the fight. Yeah. He rounded up all these criminals and just executed them. Yes. And built this 60,000 seat stadium. It's just, and then made Ali and Foreman stay for five extra weeks because Foreman cut his forehead in training. The whole thing is just nuts. But Dana White is part of this long tradition of absolute criminals and psychopaths and lunatics being by the promoters. Yeah. This goes back the entire sort of century. It's like these crazy fights, uh, crazy fight promotions. Mm-hmm. So he's part of that tradition and people who do not understand irony in the slightest. I mean, also just the continued alliances of this tradition and the legitimization of it. Like, there's a reason ESPN, who's largely tried to play apolitical, and if you ask most people, say has a slight liberal bent, is having Dana White appear on their network 
two times a day to talk about bringing back sports when really nobody should be playing sports right now. It's interesting how, you know, all the, all the morals are able to get swashed and kind of intertwined here, like just given the plain circumstances of it. As you know, you said earlier, JP, we really are kind of showing who we are right now. And it's not good (laughs) on the macro level. It is not good on the micro level. You see all sorts of things that people are helping each other out and doing their best and all that. And that's great. I think people have, by and large, found really interesting ways to cope with an unusual situation. On the, on the macro level, man, it's bad. It's really bad. So here's a question then, kind of like thinking about the future macro level of this. Does this situation kind of, you know, with different leagues looking to rush back and others kind of playing it more safe and listening to you, the doctors, which, you know, saying just listening to the doctors right now has kind of become a political statement all in and of itself. Does the way the various leagues of this handle this create a more politicalization of sports in the future from here? Like, do we consider UFC to be the more conservative kind of pale bearer of sports on that end and NBA is seen as more progressive and liberal based on the way they handle it? Like, do those things potentially stick moving forward? I think everyone's fitting into pre-established patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think this defines UFC and Dana White as completely conservative because this has been going on for a while. The NBA sort of, you know, progressive credentials are, are being burned, have been, you know, sort of worked on for some time. Not 100% progressive by any stretch, right? It's not mm-hmm. a socialistic enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> they're very much presenting themselves as, as such. So I think it's kind of reinforcing established patterns. It's interesting MLB sort of trying to play the middle where they want to come back, but they're going to be safe and have testing, all this stuff. So they seem to sort of just not know what they want to do. Well, yeah, the established patterns are there. The big question mark for me is going to be the NCAA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the question I think that remains to be answered. We, we know where Adam Silver and Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred fall in this spectrum and they are exactly acting the way we thought they were going to mm-hmm. it's the ncaa to me that's the big question mark i mean it's it's very telling that the women's sports leagues were not invited and i'm sure <laughs> their commissioners have feelings that are different from the other commissioners shall we say mm-hmm. yeah for sure i also just the ncaa double a dealing with these pressures of you know athletes some gaining some eligibility, additional eligibility off of this, others not. And I don't know if you saw the news last week, but Lamelo Ball straight up buying the team he had played for in Australia and quite like a crazy journey for that kid, right? Going from playing high school basketball to playing basketball in Lithuania to not playing basketball at all to playing basketball in Australia. Now lining himself up to be the number one pick of the draft while also owning his own professional sports franchise. Like these, like the, the narrative for the NCAA doesn't look good right now, and I think it's probably in their best interest to play this coronavirus situation as you know progressively and as well-minded as they possibly can, which is something they seem to have been doing by being pretty far out in front of canceling March Madness and the, all those other kind of no, 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 They followed the NBA's lead. Mm-hmm. They were going to play in uh, empty stadiums, and then Gobert got sick. The NBA sort of suspended the season, so they were following the NBA. Yeah. Um, and, and what's interesting, they're not following sort of university policy. 
the athletic departments are their own fiefdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the NCAA is a very separate thing here because you have to account for college policies, and they haven't really been. So don't give them too much credit, I would say. Yeah. I mean, uh, how this question then? Like, if you could be the commissioner of any league right now, like, who do you think has the easiest decisions to make and who do you think has the hardest decisions to make? Okay, so the dude or woman who's doing curling <laughs> is decision. Like, enforcing distance in the curling realm, obviously the two guys who are scrubbing, they got to wear the shredder masks. But everybody else, you're six feet apart, man. You're good. That's the easy one. Mm-hmm. Bowling. Bowling. Yeah. <laughs> they make a comeback. It's true. Bowling six feet is very easy to enforce. And you don't dare touch someone else's ball under any circumstances. Right. Ever. Mm-hmm. So I think we were talking about like before the call was um, the way that these leagues can create alternative content that still enforces the six feet rule. You know, you have the NBA trying now the horse competition. Something we were talking about is, well, Major League Baseball is kind of trying their best to, you know, play baseball games as they have originally been constructed throughout history. They're not really looking towards alternative forms of content the way the NBA is and their kind of more acceptance of the situation. Like they could be doing something, you know, a home run derby only requires a couple dudes with a bat and a couple pitchers and maybe two or three cameras. I wonder why they have been kind of quiet about potentially producing anything like that. It's a good question that, you know, the sort of, it seems kind of ridiculous, a horse tournament um, where everyone just sort of has separate courts where we were talking about the home run derby, right? You could have it separate days, right? One player goes, again, the pitcher is, you know, 60 feet, six inches away. So you have the social distancing, don't need catchers. You have a few sort of camera crew and that's it. And then everyone sort of leaves and the next sort of group comes back the next day. So you could do something like that. Um, But I don't know why it hasn't been floated and sent this insane plan to, you know, have everyone in Arizona. It just doesn't seem like there's much interest in it. Yeah. I mean, I guess all rules are off right now, and I'm sure someone like Trump isn't really interested in any of that unless it's an actual game itself. Something he can take credit for, right? That, that's what it could be. You know, well. sort of cricket league, because cricket, everyone's... Yeah. yeah. And to boot, the bowlers often wear gloves. Sure. So there you go, man. Cricket. It's the new thing. Cricket and bowling. As you can see right now, I guess all three of us are desperate for any form of sport we can take in any sort of context anywhere. So um, I guess we'll keep looking, but I think this is probably a good stopping point for today's show. Uh, My name is Mac Lederman, contributing editor for the Miscellaneous News. You have been listening to Liberal Arts Sports Talk. I got Justin Patch, Professor Justin Patch on one side of the Zoom call. I got Professor Alex Cuffer and his trusty Iris Sweatshirt on the other side of the Zoom call. I want to thank both you guys for doing another show, and we'll kind of hash out more alternative sports plans going forward in the future. 